Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized sports conversations with sports personalities from around the world on their grind, the game, and much more. Alongside Special Jennings, I'm Everest Akajobi. We're bringing you a Texas-Nigerian Connection Edition. <laughs> As always, you can find us on our social media pages, at No Referees Pod, and on our YouTube channel, No Referees Podcast. Joining us today is a very, 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 very special guest, Lieutenant Commander of the United States Navy. He also is a driver in the NASCAR Xfinity and Truck Series. He's the owner of the Red List Group. You can find him everywhere on social media at Jesse underscore Iwoji. My Texas Nigerian brother, like I already mentioned, Jesse Iwoji. How you doing, brother? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no problem, man. How you doing these days, man? Look, I know that you're a football guy at heart. So we just had a Super Bowl happen recently. Give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, the Super Bowl was pretty good. Um, it was crazy to watch, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes versus, you know, Tom Brady, um, you know, a young, young up and coming uh, star in the league. who He was already a star. I mean, he's, he's there, but he's, he's going to do so much more because he's so young in his career. And then, you know, watching someone like Tom Brady, who is, you know, getting towards the end of his career. He's, he's not completely done. I think he's going to stick around for a little bit longer. But to still see him at the top of his game, even at his age, I believe they said that uh, Patrick Mahomes was somewhere around like six years old or so when uh, Tom Brady was winning his first few Super Bowls. So, yeah, it's crazy to see that. Imagine being a little kid. I mean, you know, like literally not even in, in elementary school, you know, barely. And all of a sudden watching this guy winning Super Bowls, all of a sudden now you're playing against him in the Super Bowl. But um, Tom Brady and their team, I mean, they executed. The Buccaneers did a really good job on offense and defense of sticking to their plan and just executing on every single play. Whereas um, on the on the Kansas City side, you know, defense came out flat. The deep defense, um, I saw a lot of people pointing fingers at each other type like, Hey, that's, that's your, that's your gap. That's your, uh, that's your area. That's your, you know, that's your bust, you know, all that stuff. And then on the offensive side, uh, not having the full offensive line, I think really hurt uh, Patrick Mahomes because they had a good solid, you know, their receivers, running back, quarterback, obviously are solid. The line just could not hold up. And, and Patrick Mahomes just got hit and hit and hit. And anytime that happens, you can't, you just can't win a game. Yeah, I was talking to a special yesterday, and I said I'm going to be going for uh, Kansas City because, you know, Patrick Mahomes, a Texas guy. I mean, on the, 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 the Bucks they had a couple of Texas guys, too. So I didn't really know who to choose. I'm a Cowboys fan, so I'll just yeah. root for the Cowboys. Me, too. They're going to the Super Bowl <laughs> next year. <laughs> y'all, y'all are both delusional. The Cowboys are not going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> no time soon. <laughs> well, Je- well, Jesse, every question, we always start all our interviews off here. Uh, our, our slogan here, No Referees Podcast, is no rules, no texts, and no whistles. So we always ask every guest the same question to start it off. What was your very, very, very first time getting into it with a referee? Um, I I don't think I honestly ever got into it with the referee. Uh, Anytime that I ever had a penalty, I I, one, I didn't have a lot of penalties called against me. 
um, I was for the most part pretty good at like always like following the rules. <laughs> um, so, you know, as, as a football player, you know, when I, when I watched uh, guys do like really dumb things like face mask and this and that, I watched holding calls, um, all these like really dumb things for me, it just never made sense because I, for me, I don't know. I feel like I, I could think a little bit better than that. on the football field. You got to be able to think you can't just play just, like you can't just be wild on the field. You got to be able to think, I mean, it's, it's a mental game sports in general, the higher you go, it's a mental game. So you got to be able to have your mind focused to understand, okay, if, if, if the, if this person's back is face to me, I cannot block them. I don't care how I'm feeling at that moment. You cannot push them in the back. You cannot hold them. Like once you grab Jersey, you are holding, let go of it. Like some people can't for some reason, figure that out. I don't know how people make these little mistakes, but they do. So, I never got into it really. I never got into it with any referees because I wasn't getting penalties called on me because I was a little bit smarter than that. <laughs> well, tell me a time you got a penalty and you just disagreed with it then. <laughs> um, because uh, it was so few and far between. Um, I I think I had one instant. Yeah, you know, I, I did have one where um, uh, it was on offense in high school. I was playing wide receiver. I was coming out, um, getting ready to line up, and um, as I as I ran out to my spot to go line up, I was running out. Obviously, you can't see the ball as you're running out there to go get lined up. I go out there and I get lined up, and right when I do, I noticed that I was a yard ahead of where the football was. Obviously, a mistake. I couldn't see it. I just turned around and I happened to be a yard in front of it. Referee throws a flag. Usually referees are cool. They're like, hey, back up. And that's what most refs do. This guy just decided, oh, no, offsides, boom, <laughs> or false start, whatever you want to call it. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I was like, it's obviously like a little simple thing. I mean, it happens all the time. It's not like an uncommon thing. Like, you know, it's just you can't see it as you're running out there and you just happen to be a yard ahead or a few inches ahead. You know, then you back up and then you're good, you know. But he decided to call a penalty that day. <laughs> That's a great, great story. And look, I never played any football. I'm not, I'm not athletic at all. You know, <laughs> special could attest to that. I probably would have got 45 flags thrown on me just by trying to tie my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He is, is very unathletic. <laughs> That's all right, though. Hey, but look, all right, uh, Jesse, let's take a take me back to. You know, uh, Carrollton, uh, he- Hebron Hawks, you know, in high school. Uh, I, looked, I looked them up the other day. They got amazing new facilities over there. Um, yeah. Take us back into how uh, I've read a lot of things. You've already met, you've already had a lot of interviews talking about how the, the Navy recruiters came and found you. Talk, take us through that process that you wanted to go to Texas. You wanted to go to TCU, the local DFW school, to play football, but you were only a two-star recruit. Take mm-hmm. us to that process, how you ended up uh, with the Navy Academy. Yeah. So, um, you know, while playing football in high school, um, my, my big goal was to go off to college and play college football. But, um, you know, I, I was uh, maybe 170, 175 pounds in high school, uh, six foot. But I wasn't huge. You know, I had, I had some good speed, you know, just in the prior year before my senior year. I just got off of going to a state championship in track. And, um, you know, definitely had the speed there, but I didn't have all the size in the world. So, when all these big schools like, you know, University of Texas, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, TCU, when they're looking at recruiting, you know, within Texas, you know, they're looking for the, the, the DBs that are, you know, six foot, 200 pounds, six foot, 210, six, two, two, you know, all that. I wasn't that I was smaller than that. So it, that kind of hurt me on that end. So, um, you know, some of the other schools started looking at me and one of them was the Naval Academy. 
And I, when I, you know, started getting recruited by them, I saw it as a great opportunity, probably better than the ones um, for going to the other schools in Texas, because I could go to a really, really good school, get a really, really good education, uh, play football for a team that's, you know, playing all across the country. You know, the one thing with other schools um, at that time was, you know, all these other schools are, are in a conference. So they're playing kind of the same schools every single year. Whereas at the Naval Academy, at that time, they were independent. So we got to play whoever we wanted, whenever we wanted, all the time. So it was actually really cool being able to travel across the country, playing all different kinds of teams in California, going to Notre Dame, going to Texas, going to Florida, going to all these different places to play people. Um, it was really cool. So um, I, I really liked that aspect a lot. And they were winning games and going to bowl games every single year. Um, you know, not all the big schools, even though they're popular, go to bowl games every year. So um, I wanted to go to a place where we were pretty much like, guaranteed to go to bowl games all the time. So um, that made my decision right there for me. And uh, I made a decision to go to the Naval Academy and it's it's best decision I probably ever made. I remember reading something on your bio that uh, June 30th, 2005 was the day that you uh, uh, you enrolled. Uh, and that's uh, actually my birthday. So, you know, we got, a lot, we got three different ways. We got three yeah. different connections we got here. Nice, <laughs> nice. You know, I'll be first to say, Jesse, that I'm, I'm really intrigued by your journey. Um, I'm, I'm younger. I'm fairly young in my, my, um, in my profession. And um, your drive is just something about your drive. And you said something um, that really resonated with me. And I know I'm jumping all over the place. And this is like I'm jumping ahead from, from college. You made a comment that um, it said so many have big goals and big dreams, but they're scared to go after them. How has that resonated with you from a from a Navy football to NASCAR to just everyday life? What have you done to, to get to your to your big dream? Yeah, um, that journey, uh, getting to your goals and dream, it's not it's not easy. It's tough. And um, well, yeah, when I made that comment, you know, a lot of people, they have big goals, they have big dreams. And the only places those dreams and goals go to is the grave. Uh, the graveyard is has a, a plethora of goals and dreams there. Um, it, it, the, the most wealthy place in the world is the graveyard because so many people's goals and dreams go there to die. And um, people don't take an action to, to, to actually go for these goals because they're scared of, um, they're, they're fearing uh, failure. Sometimes they're fearing the, the level of success they could potentially uh, um, achieve with it. There's all this fear that's stopping people, is, is, is holding people back. People don't understand, like, like it's okay to, to have some of those fears. It's okay because, yes, going on this journey to achieve a goal is definitely difficult. But um, as long as you continue to push forward, you are going to make it to the end. Like, it, it's, success is pretty much guaranteed as long as you stay strong enough, long enough. It's not about the talent. It's not about skills. It's not about any of that. It's all about who stays strong enough, long enough. You get into the room and you do everything you can to fight to stay in the room. As, you, as you're going through this journey, as you're going through this dark tunnel, you're, there's going to be a lot of dark, dark, dark days. But you have to understand that life's a cycle. Like it's going to have its ups and it's going to have its downs. But after the down, it goes back up. People experience the highs and then they hit the low and they think it's over. And it's like, no, it's not over. Just keep moving. Move to the next day, to the next day. And guess what? It goes back up. But understand, like, even in the darkest point of the night, the sun is still going to rise. It's going to rise. It's going to come up. 
So you got to keep pushing forward every single day, actionable steps every day, insane belief that you will make it happen. Faith that even through this dark tunnel, there actually is light. And that's where the faith comes into as people are walking through this dark journey it's pitch black and they believe, oh man, it's over. That's it. Like, I can't see the light. Like, aren't I supposed to at least be able to see a speckle of light the whole time? No, you're just going to be pitch black because life has to test those to see, okay, how much faith are you going to have that the light's there? Cause I'm telling you light is there. I know you can't see it, but let's just, if you can at least believe me and just have faith, don't worry, you're going to get to the light. And that's what people have to understand when they're going through their journey and they're trying to achieve something big that's bigger than whatever else they've achieved in their life. So, so where did that come from for you? Because let's say you, you, you touched on light, darkness, and, and all those things. And, and you, you've, you've been through some darkness. You know, when you started out racing, you wrecked six out of seven times. You know, that, that can be, that can be def- deflating for somebody. That, that, that can, you know, set you and put you somewhere where you, like, you quit. You give up. You know, what, when did the light click for you? You know, how, how did you overcome that, that, that failure? Yeah. Um, so for me, the light actually clicked and, um, I, everything I just said, I, st- I started understanding this before I got into, uh, this journey of racing. Actually, the moment I began the journey of racing is when I had to first understand everything I just said. So I had to understand that, Hey, you're going to go through this dark journey. It's going to be dark and it's going to go down and down and down. But the higher I want to go in life, the, I'm building this skyscraper. I want this skyscraper to be huge wanted to have like you know 100 floors like it's going to be a huge skyscraper but the higher i want to go that means the deeper i'm going to have to dig and digging deep especially into this earth is very very difficult so i understood that right before i got into this whole thing and is and is with understanding that and getting my mindset in the right place that's what allowed me to go through what i had to go through you can't jump into something and not have the right mindset and think that you need to get your mindset right while doing it because it's not going to work. You got to get your mindset right first before you do anything before you, so you can get to where you want to go. I always like I see on YouTube, you have all these like, quote unquote, gurus and people like that who are giving, you know, here's the five steps or 10 steps to success. Um, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to, you know, build this little plan, do this and do that. All that stuff's fine and dandy. And, and yes, it is helpful. But it, that's not what you actually need. There is one big thing, and that is mindset. You have to get your mindset in a place where you are willing to risk it all, where you're willing to take every single punch, no matter where it's hitting your side, hitting you in your ribs, hitting you in your face, like hitting you in the backside of your head, whatever. You got to be able to get into a place where you are where you are comfortable with this uncomfortable, very, very uncomfortable situation. And then once you get into that place, that's what's going to make you dangerous in whatever space you're trying to go into. So who, who kind of helped you facilitate, you know, who, who you, you talk about, you speak about like-minded people, right? And, and surrounding yourself with people who are of the same, you know, have the same, same mind, same goal, same, just an aura about them. You know, you, a go-getter is a go-getter, no matter what, mm-hmm. what profession you're in. You know, who are some of those people that you surrounded yourself with that, that, that kind of helped you, you know, twist your mindset? Because I know, after again and going back to your six out of seven times you wrecked you know that that that's incredible for you to just be able to overcome that who are some of the people that that were in your corner that kind of just pushed you like to the light that you spoke about yeah um well one god of course because all this doesn't happen without him (laughs) so he's always there he's always in the corner since day one um two uh i during my first year in racing 
I pretty much kind of got rid of like everyone in my life, um, like who basically wasn't trying to elevate themselves. So um, if you weren't trying to really go past where you were, then I wasn't going to talk to you that much that year. Not that I wasn't going to be your friend still and be cool with you. It just, we were communications were going to like disappear. And um, I started doing that and quickly realized like, oh man, there's not a lot of people next to me who are trying to elevate. Not that they're not trying to do something good in life. They're just not trying to go above and beyond and get to something they've never gotten to. So I'm like, man, this is a small world of people who want to go be extraordinary. <laughs> so I got rid of all of it. And I'm like, okay, well, now it's just me. So then I was like, okay, I don't have to completely be alone. What I can do is I started listening to uh, Les Brown and uh, Eric Thomas, two really great, great uh, motivational speakers. And um, I was like, these are the voices I'm going to listen to. I'm like, I'll, I, I can't see them. I can't be next to them, but they have a ton of content out there. I'm just going to listen to their stuff every single day. So I had it playing, you know, in my room every day, all the different motivational talks about different things, about how to get your mindset right, all this stuff about how to, you know, get through a journey. And I, I had that stuff playing in the background four or five, six hours a night, every single night for a few years. Um, and, and that's what I did. And, and then that's what helped me get my mind in the right place and get me going in the right place. And that's what I did to surround myself around like-minded people, because that's some of the things that they would say all the time is, you know, your, your circle of friends, your group of five people, like that's who you're going to be. And I was like, well, I don't want to be like some of these other people. So I'm, you know, pushing them to the side for right now. It's like, I want to be like you. So I'm just going to listen to you. And it's just like, you're not physically here, but I'm listening to you. So I'm taking on that energy. I'm taking on those thoughts. I'm taking on that mindset. And then that's, what's going to help me. And now here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. You know, you mentioned extraordinary. I'm going to take it back to sports real quick. Uh, your football days. Then we're going to get into some NASCAR stuff because special she's from Ohio. She's a Buckeye. I know he mentioned earlier uh, about your four-year career. You went to the uh, went to a bowl game every year uh, when you were at Navy, and your first first game, you you have a story playing the Ohio State Buckeyes. <laughs> you know, uh, so walk us through, you know, how y'all y'all almost beat the Buckeyes to, to the last second play. Yeah, we were playing the Buckeyes. Um, you know, that they were number six in the country at that time. And uh, we got out there to Ohio State. We were playing them, 107,000 people in the stands. Uh, biggest game I've probably ever played in in my life. And um, as we were playing them, um, the first part of the game, I would say the first half, they started stomping us. We came out, I think we scored like once or so, and then they just started stomping us from there. It's like, I think it got to the point where it was like 20-something, 20 21 to 7 or 6 or something like that. Like, they were, they were starting to get us. So going into the third quarter, at this point, they start putting their second-string players in. Because they weren't beating us 40 to nothing or anything like that. So usually that's when you start bringing out your second two players. They were only up like probably two and a half touchdowns or so. Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to just keep going. So they bring out their second string. Well, all of a sudden, um, you know, we still, got, we still got our starters out there. We make a few to, few adjustments and we start fighting back. Next, you know, we find ourselves um, basically about to tie with them in the fourth quarter. And they're like, what is going on? And it, it, the cameras were showing like the sidelines and the starters are trying to find their helmet because they got to get back in the game. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're like, Wait, we can't lose the Navy. So um, we're fighting back, we're fighting back, we're fighting back. And then um, we score and we tie it up uh, or we get close to tying up. And uh, all we needed to do was um, we were two points away. So all we needed to do was uh, score this uh, two-point conversion We'd be tied up with two and a half minutes, I believe, left to go in the game. Um, go for a two-point conversion. Instead of running it, which has been working really well for us, we decided to pass. 
but they got a little bit of pressure on us. The quarterback threw a bad ball. It got intercepted and not only intercepted, the guy ran it back all the way and scored. And uh, we ended up losing by four points that game, but um, very close. Uh, we almost knocked off the number six team in the nation. First game of the season in 2009. That is, that is commendable. That is commendable. Yeah. But Evers, no, I'm a smarty, so I'm going to say almost doesn't count. <laughs> you know, my, my Buckeyes remained undefeated. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they did good. They're a good team. Good team. Yeah. yeah. yeah I That's just want I, I, I wanted to make sure I brought that up because I know Special's from Ohio. And, uh, <laughs> when she played at Xavier and her, her head coach Xavier is now the head coach at Ohio State. So uh, I wanted to make sure I brought that in. So, so Jesse, all right, let's get into some NASCAR stuff. Uh mm-hmm. You know, there was a big, a big, uh, you know, uproar last summer with the Bubba Wallace. Is it a noose? Is it a handle? Is it this? Is it that? You know, as a as one of only a handful of African American drivers in NASCAR, how was that time for you? Uh, and how did you, you know, be by Bubba's side uh, or give him words of encouragement? You know, take us through that moment. Yeah, uh, it definitely was a difficult time. That's for sure. Um, you know, obviously the FBI was able to come in and, um, you know, figure out what, what happened and, and they determined that it wasn't uh, of malicious intent um, from what they did and or what they uncovered in their investigation, which was good. Uh, and that's great. From then we can move on. There's still a lot of people wanting to hate on the whole situation and say this and say that. I don't know why people, there's a lot of people who are stuck in some very negative ways very negative people out there um i I don't know why um but their life will go where their life goes because of that but um anyways there's a lot of negativity out there a lot of people who wanted to say oh it was a it was a stunt it was this it was that whatever (laughs) um you know at the end of the day uh it wasn't malicious intent and that's all that matters nascar did everything they were supposed to do which was take it very serious because if they didn't take it serious and it happened to be of malicious intent then that would have been a very, very big issue. Um, and and I, I tell people, I'm like, look, you can look at it the same way, you know, airports look at it. If a backpack's laying around, you know, people are going to take it very serious as, hey, this could potentially be a bomb or something like that. So they go through a certain protocol, they go through certain procedures, they heighten all the alarms, a lot of stuff happens. And some people would think, oh my gosh, you're taking this like way too far. It's just a backpack. Some, you know, kid just accidentally, you know, left their bag right there. Okay, yeah, maybe. But guess what? There, there was instances and there's been times where that backpack was something um, uh, notable and it ended up being a bomb. So just like in this situation, like there's been many nooses out there which were made with malicious intent. So, you know, you gotta take it serious, especially with what was going on, the situation, the time period, um, the, um, the, the state that they're in, in Alabama, where, you know, nooses have, you know, this stuff has happened a lot. Um, also with all the different racial injustice stuff going on, the tensions going on, this wasn't just, you know, any other year. This was this year, that year that was going through those times. So I think NASCAR did everything they were supposed to do. Um, and the investigation uncovered that it wasn't what it, what we thought it was. And that's great. Perfect. Move on. <laughs> you know, you know, black folks, we're typically not people who root for, you know, not knowing anything about NASCAR. I, 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 uh, have been a NASCAR fan pretty much my whole life. My mom, my mother used to work for UPS when Dale, Dale Jarrett was an 88 driver. Uh, I grew up not far from Texas Motor Speedway. So I was really already, I already knew who you were. I already knew who Bubba was. 
Uh, Beasley, I, be, I believe the other driver's name is. I, I knew the other driver. So I was kind of already in tune, but, you know, African-Americans and large are not really, you know, NASCAR fans. So what was the, the support that you felt from the African-American community during that time? Yeah, uh, during that time, I believe got a pretty good amount of support. Um, my message the whole time was a message of unity. Um, you'll never see me be um, really, really pro this way or pro this way. You see me being pro everyone, putting everyone together at all times, no matter what's going on. Because um, as a leader, um, that's what that's what you got to be. Um, uh, like I, I, as a leader, I have to be the one who who unites all, no matter what's happening. You got to unite all because united we stand, divided we fall. And I've seen it time and time again in history. It's everything I've learned over time. Division, not good, not good. It will it, it will just destroy the organization. Um, it, everyone has to unite. Everyone has to come together. Everyone has to fight for one common goal, and that's humanity and, and just being good people and having respect for one another, no matter what your color is, no matter what your gender is, no matter what your religion is. It doesn't matter. We're, we're there. I mean, we there's bad things going on in the U.S. And there's some really bad things going on across the world and other places, um, places that have all the same race together in one place and still going through some major issues. Um, Nigeria, you know, with the SARS thing. Uh, I mean, we're all like pretty much one people there. We all look the same there. And we're still killing each other. You know, it, it's just it, there's a lot of bad things and it all comes back to just uniting as people and, and respecting each other. That's how we're going to get past a lot of stuff that's going on in the world. How did you go from division one college football to the Navy to I'm going to be a NASCAR driver. <laughs> like where, where did, like, how did that happen? Well, for me, uh, I've always liked cars. I've always liked racing um, throughout my whole life. It was like a thing on the side that I always liked. So, um, but football, you know, cars and racing, that wasn't going to get me to college and, and get me, you know, into the, the working world to be able to make some type of living at first. Um, that wasn't going to do that at first, you know, especially since I didn't start early. I didn't have like the resources or even know what to do. Um, I had to go a different route. So uh, football was my sport that I, I, I knew I could go do and go do well at that time. And that was going to get me to college to play college football. Now, um, while I was doing that, the Naval Academy was the best school recruiting me and it had all the best to offer. So that's what allowed me to get into the Navy side of things. So I was at the Naval Academy pretty much on a trajectory to become an officer in the Navy. And then I was playing football, which, what I, is, which is what I loved. And then when I graduated from the Naval Academy in 2010, I became a surface warfare officer. So I was on the ships. Uh, I was on ships for about four years, went on two different deployments. Um, after my second deployment, came back from that one in 2014. And then in 2015, um, I had a lot more time on my hands because I was now on shore duty. So I wasn't having to go out to sea, go on ships anymore. I was on land. I had, it was almost like a, a nine to five type job. So it was a lot more free time, especially on the weekends. And at that point, I was like, okay, now let me jump into my other passion, which was cars and racing. Let me try to go that route had no clue where I was going to go. I just wanted to jump into it and start racing. And eventually I was like, you know what, why don't I try to become a professional driver? And NASCAR was the first door that opened up for me because I saw that that was the best place where I think I could go succeed and, and um, have the best opportunity because there's a lot of other racing series out there, but not a lot of them have a lot of opportunity. A lot of them don't have a great, um, they don't have the coverage I think needed to, to really uh, have a ton of success and, and make it really far. So um, NASCAR was a way to go. And that's what I started pursuing. So how do you, 
how do you practice for that? Like, is it, when I think of NASCAR, I think of the person in the lane next to me that looks at me in my car and I'm, you know, kind of revving, kind of sizing my vehicle up. How, how do you practice outside? Like, is it all just at the, at the track? Or I saw, I believe, in, in one video where you had this thing with your feet and you were, you were doing something and it looked like you were in a video game. Like, how do you practice for NASCAR? Yeah, so um, one of the ways a lot of people practice is using uh, racing simulators, which is what I have. So I have a racing simulator um, here in the house in that room over there uh, where it's a, it's a racing seat, a steering wheel, pedals, shifter, just like a normal car. And then we train on there and I have a, a virtual reality headset that I put on. So it, it puts me in the car and makes me feel like I'm really in the car. And um, it's, it's more than just your typical arcade video game where you play at, you know, I don't know, uh, Dave and Buster's or something like that. It's way different than that. It feels way more realistic. Um, you have to treat it realistic because it, it, it does everything it can to be realistic. And uh, that's how we train. Um, you can also go test on tracks. Uh, if you're a rookie, NASCAR allows like rookies to test three or four times um, in a year. Um, after your rookie status, you cannot test anymore. So um, there really isn't much practice at all unless you go jump into some other kind of race car and train. But in your actual NASCAR race vehicle, um, you can't use that particular vehicle to go train on any tracks. Um, NASCAR just doesn't allow it. So so describe to us your, your that feeling of, okay, I've been I've been behind the scene. I had I've been virtual. I've been on on the on the key, on the pedals and things like that. Go from from you said it feel real. It, mm -hmm. it feel real until it is real. Yeah. Describe yeah. to us that that first that first ride for you, that first time you got on the track, you you were at the at the start line and you were behind a wheel in real life. Yeah, going to um from virtual to reality, uh, it, it's definitely a big difference. Um, you know, on on the virtual side of things, it feels real as far as like the dynamics and all that stuff. But everything changes when you get on a real track because now the risks are real. Um, there is no reset button. You you can't just crash and hit reset. <clears throat> if you crash, like the car's you know done for. <laughs> so um, you know that that's what you got to take into account. So usually you're always just a little bit slower in real life than you are on the racing simulator because you're not you can't you can't completely go all out. So um, yeah, going getting into my first race was definitely um, nerve wracking for sure. But once the green flag dropped and we started racing, those nerves go away, and you just you get into your comfort zone. I, I feel like more comfortable, you know, at the high speeds than I do prior to leading up to the race. <laughs> uh, Jesse, I got a question for you. As a, I've been a strength and conditioning coach for 16 years. And a lot of people just, you know, the last hand so, handful of years or so consider NASCAR drivers as athletes. Some people don't even recognize NASCAR drivers as, as, a, as a real sport. So I want to ask you, you know, when you're in the car, you're pulling G's. You have to train a certain type of way. You have to train a certain type of exercise. NASCAR teams have strength and conditioning coaches, physical therapists, sports medicine people, et cetera. So other than the racing simulator that you mentioned, how do you keep your body trained uh, for NASCAR competitions? Yeah, um, keeping my body trained, uh, just a lot of physical fitness. Um, you know, I'm always working out and running every single day. Um, you know, I do a lot of sprints, I, I lift weights, um, I do some different like boxing routines, different things like that to, um, you know, work through heat stress and, and just keeping my body physically fit. Um, you know, cause when you're in a race car, uh, you're going, it's a lot of heat in the car. It's not, uh, it's not like a normal car. You jump in and you have an AC and all that stuff and you're just cruising around and you don't, you don't sweat when, um, when you jump into a race car, it's like, um, think of like the middle of the summer. 
when it's like super hot and 100 degrees outside and you first go to your car and um your, your your normal car which has been sitting outside let's say in a parking lot for a few hours so you know how it's baking crazy hot in there and then you and then you jump in you're like oh my god like this is gonna, like i'm gonna melt imagine like that heat um but imagine not being able to turn on the ac not being able to like get any real air to like cool it down and imagine just just go drive for two hours in that exact heat um around that's basically what we we race in <laughs> that's like that's like that tech that's like that texas heat right there exactly really so yeah. so do all the it's all the same for all the cars why don't the cars come with with air conditioner because it's extra weight uh, and it takes away horsepower <laughs> wow yeah wow wow and yeah y'all got y'all got the uh y'all got but y'all have the cooling the cooling uh vest like the air conditioner throwing through your your suit correct you can i've never used it one of these days i will i've never used it though but um you, you can do that though that's cool. All right, Jesse, let's talk about uh, give me your favorite NASCAR track. You know, I've been to Pocono. I've been to Darlington. I've been to Daytona. You know, tell me what's your favorite track that you've been on so far that you've raced on and a track that you want to race on in the future. Yeah, um, I would say probably one of my favorites is Sonoma. I love the road course there, all the different um, elevation changes and, and all the corners and stuff. It's a fun track. Um, one that I'm looking forward to going to is probably uh, Circuit of Americas this year um, when they race a road course in Austin. So that should be pretty fun. Um, it's a Formula One track. So NASCAR hasn't been on, you know, a current Formula One tracks in, in a while. So uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Who's who's like your idol? Like, who do you look up to? Who do you who do you practice against? Like, who's who's been like the biggest help Um you know, for you and your career as an, as an NASCAR driver? Um, I wouldn't say I have any idols. Um, there's people I look at and I, I like some things from different people that, that like I, I try to take on board and emulate a little bit. Um, but I wouldn't say I really have any idols, but um, one great person to look up to, I would say uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, great person, really humble, um, even with all the stardom and all that stuff. Um, he's, he's very down to earth and cool, chill person, which is great. Like, I, I like that kind of personality. That's kind of um, what I've been shaping myself around um, really the past few years as I've been going through this journey. How, as, how did your family like take it when you were like, mom, dad, brother, sister, hey, I'm gonna be a NASCAR driver. Like, what what were their thoughts? Like, what would they say? I don't want to pick. I want to piggyback on that. Cause I'm gonna ask that same question too. Cause you know, in Nigerian culture, you you raised to be a doctor or or a nurse or or engineer, lawyer, or some engineer. lawyer, yeah. exactly. So I was asking that same question. Yeah, uh, yeah. They they yeah. They were just. Um, I mean, they weren't really necessarily trying to stop me. They were, they. They, they hinted at, hey, you know, there's other things you can also do and all that stuff. But I wouldn't say they like got angry or anything like that. I tried to stop me, but they did think I was a little bit crazy. Um, but then when they started seeing me really go after it, that I wasn't going to let anything stop me, uh, they just kind of let it go. And, um, you know, they just were supportive where they could be. Uh, and they've got an opportunity to come to a couple of races now um, at Texas Motor Speedway. And uh, that's been really cool having them come to my races because, you know, they used to be able to come to like my high school games and they came to some college games, but um, they never really got to come to any races. So um, this, uh, this was cool over the last couple of years. So I haven't had the opportunity to have them be at some of the races. Jesse, what's your, what's your pre-race meal? Is it, you got some fufu, you got some, some <laughs> a goofy soup, you know, what's, no. what's, what's, what's your pre-race pre routine looking like? 
Yeah, no, pre-race, I, I try not to eat too much during the day. I try to keep it fairly light. Um, I just make sure I'm hydrating all throughout the week. Uh, I drink a lot of coconut water um, from the coconut. Um, uh, what else am I doing? Uh, yeah, just hydration, hydration all week long, water. And, and then, oh, yeah, um, you know, try to, um, yeah, just hydration. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. This may be a weird question. What has been, like, your worst, like, wreck? that you've been in? Was it a blown mm-hmm. tire, the, the roof come off or, you know, what has I been was, like the worst? Blown tire is probably the, it feels the worst because you're like helpless. You're just like driving towards a wall because it can't turn anymore. <laughs> you just hit it. Um, that's like the most helpless one, at least on the other wrecks. It's like, this happens out of nowhere. So you can't really, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah. When somebody when somebody wrecks you, like how do you feel? Like if somebody like causes you like bump draft or hit you, you know, like and no, it ain't your fault. Like you don't get, you feel like you want to get out of the car. Like you see some NASCAR driver, they want to fight or they want to tackle. How, how do you feel when you know it's not your fault when you get into an accident? Um, I mean, it's upsetting. It's upsetting, but um, you know, it's part of the game. It happens. Um, you know, you're all on the track fighting for one thing, and that's to get up front and try to win the race. So, um, you know, things happen. Uh, it's upsetting, but you got to move on. You can't let it like, you know, you can't dwell on it too long. You just got to move on to the next race. All right, Jess, before we get out of here, we got a couple questions before we get you out of here. Let's talk to the, to no referees fans about the red list group, you know, I follow you on your social media, you know, we see you, 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 you're drifting in your Corvette, you know, your souped up Corvette, you know, tell us a little bit about the red list group. Yeah, uh, Redless Group. Um, basically, it's uh, it's my events company where I put on drag racing events. Um, we put on drag racing events a few times a year, mainly in Southern California, and also uh, we usually do one big truck event in Phoenix. Um, and I've been doing it for a few years. It's been it's been going well. It's grown a lot. And um, you know, outside of that, yeah, I have my Corvettes that I um, I race with on for fun outside of NASCAR stuff. Uh, I got a C7 Z06 Corvette that I, you know, drag race with. Um, I have a C6 Z06 that I use for drifting. And then I have a Skyline GTR that I use for, you know, drag racing and just going to meets and all that stuff. So um, all the stuff in the car world, that's, a, I, I love it. What do you drive every day? Mo- yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to ask. So what is your, what is your everyday car? Currently, currently right now, the, the more everyday one is a, is a C7 Corvette, C7 Z06. So I'll, I'll drive that usually around more often now. Um, when I get the Skyline back from the, um, from the shop, I, I'll probably go back and forth between those two. Oh, man. Do you ever feel slow driving in regular traffic? Like, they, like this is too slow. Nah, I, I just chill. And I, I don't, I don't drive fast on the roads. I just chill. There's no point because get, get I don't like paying the government ticket money. Um, <laughs> I mean, three hundred, four hundred dollars. Like, I, I was like, I could use that to go do a lot of other things. So for me, I don't, I don't really speed. I drive the speed limit. You know, you, I go have fun on it. Like when you're going to a track so often, like all the time, you know, you can go get your fun out there. Jesse, you, uh, you're also a keynote speaker. You get out and around the country. You speak on the behalf of the military and vets, and you also ch- ch- uh, share your story oftentimes. So when people are in the crowd, you know, what, what, what would you say that you want them to take from, you know, listen to your story, listen to, to your message? You know, you know, what are you, what are you going, like, I was thinking when I listened to one of your talks, I'm like, man, what am I going to start doing you know, what am I going to stop doing and what I'm going to continue to start doing, you know? So just kind of take us through some of those kind of things you do as well. 
Yeah, um, you know, I do a lot of uh, speaking engagements, um, a lot of inspirational, motivational ones to kind of help and uh, motivate people to go after their goals, go after their dreams. Um, it's not easy to, uh, um, you know, throughout your journey, uh, you know, sometimes you do need to hear it from someone who who is who is there, who is doing it, who is who has gone through trials and tribulations, and and I try to speak about that stuff uh, during my speaking engagements to help motivate people and just get them off their butt and show them that hey, it's okay, like you can go after it. I'm I'm just like you. We're no different. We come from the same place. Just go after it. And uh, that's kind of um, my main goal throughout my different speaking engagements that I do. Um, I'm, I was ecstatic to actually meet you because you know I'm not a NASCAR driver, but a lot of the things that I've seen and read on you, you're very inspirational and you're very um, kind of like myself, reality-based um, by telling people to surround yourself with like-minded people. You know, those are the people that's going to push you. You know, you, you can only be great when, you, when you're around great. You, you can't expect to be able to to pull the best you know the best parts of you out of you hang with negative nancy's and people that that doesn't have any work ethic and drive um and so you know like i said i'm i'm just appreciative that i you know i actually got to meet you and, and and speak to you and pick your brain a little bit yeah thank you thank you jesse before we get you out of here can you give the no referees podcast a quick shout out yeah, no referees podcast. Um, you know, everyone should listen to it because you're gonna find the best of the best here on on, on the screen. You know, given their life story and and hopefully it motivates and, and helps inspire others out there to go after their goals and dreams. Um, and um, you know, for anyone out there who's listening, just just understand, like I said before, life rewards those who stay strong enough, long enough. So stay strong enough, long enough, and you will get to whatever you want to go to. Thank you, Je- thank you, Jesse, for those kind words. Everyone, please again go follow Jesse on his social media accounts at Jesse underscore Iwuji. He is also racing on March fifth at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Please check him out. Let's root for him so he can win that checker flag, get that big bag, get that big sponsor bag as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you, thank you again for joining us, as Lieutenant Commander, United States Navy. He's also a NASCAR Xfinity and Truck Series driver and owner of the Red List Group, Jesse Awuji. Thank you, my brother. Thank you so much. Y'all have a good Thank day. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.